It's Public Affairs Thursday here at Radio Boise, 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. You're listening to The Big Tent. I'm your host, Jen Schneider, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Corey Cook and Jackie Cutler. You might be hearing a little live music behind us. So. That's Jackie. <laughs> I'm very talented. Jackie actually has her fall voice on yeah, today. Picking up a cold. Yeah, some of, you, <laughs> some of you may be feeling like Jackie at that time of year. Uh, we are from the School of Public Service at Boise State, and I was thinking before we get started, it might be good just to remind people why we call ourselves the Big Tent. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we came up with the, that name for the show was because we wanted to provide a place where people could come and hear maybe more informed analysis and public affairs and get away from the sort of hyper-partisan talk radio. Corey, was that what you were thinking? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously having the, the, the notion of the big tent being that we have multiple perspectives and a range of viewpoints that are certainly we're, we're discussing and debating and as, as opposed to maybe some of the punditry that you might see on more popular uh, broadcasts. I mean, we, we occasionally engage in punditry. <laughs> we, we try not to. Try not to. Because you know, Luke's not here, so. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, you know, we don't get a lot into you know who's up, who's down, who wins, who loses, and try to get away from sort of the the horse race aspect and more the analytical uh, what's behind the the world of public affairs. And that's really where we're going to start today. Um, Uh, Jackie, Corey, both of you study elections, and of course we have big election coming up, so Mm -hmm. later in the show we're going to talk about some things that might make you feel good, (laughs) but for now we'll talk about the upcoming election. It's November 6th, early voting opens next week here in Idaho. When you think about the upcoming elections, what are you looking for or looking at? I mean, really, the big story has been the propositions, right? Um, that's where we're seeing ads. The Most of the campaign ads are about Prop 1 or Prop 2, especially Prop 1, where we've seen the sides really kind of go back and forth in negative ads, and that's where um, the money's been spent. Prop 1 is the Medicaid? No, Prop 1's the um, horse racing, uh, the instant yeah. um, machines. Yeah. And so Prop 1 would allow for there to be... Um, the sort of gambling machines, the, the historic, they call it historic horse racing, which allows you uh, to bet on past races. Oh, interesting. Why would you want to bet on past races? Well, so they basically anonymize the horses in the, in the races. And so you essentially are bet, betting at a video terminal. Okay. And so you can gamble quickly. It's a, it's a, it's similar to a slot machine, but not a slot machine, but in Idaho, it was considered the same as a slot machine, which is why they became illegal. Okay, so it became illegal, and the proposition is to make them legal again? Mm -hmm. And what's the sort of core issue behind that? I mean, in, in some, you know, like the side for Prop 1 would argue that it's to, this is how we can make sure horse racing is, you know, more present in the state again, mm-hmm. that this that they really need the money from these historical horse racing machines in order to fund, you know, in live horse racing. But the side, the opposition is arguing, no, it's really about gambling and profits, and um, which, of course, the opposing side is an interesting coalition of, of uh, the Coeur d'Alene tribe and, and anti-gambling um, advocates. What is the role of the tribes in sort of taking a stand on this? Well, I mean, like, they're the ones that have been granted the right for slot machines, right? And so they hold that it is that, you know, this is crossing over into what has been what should be allowed for them. Mm-hmm. And is that a fair argument to make? I mean, how, what do you think about when you think about the the arguments the tribes are making? Um. <laughs> Primarily economic. 
Yeah, I mean, it's primarily yeah. economic, and and, and it's certainly a, a certainly a valid argument. But it is an interesting coalition, mm-hmm. um, and and a, a relatively small policy issue. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a particular type of of, of allowable gaming, um, but it is obviously you know we're we're talking about now hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign ads. Um, probably millions. Yeah, so so this has gotten a lot of attention. It's become a big issue. Obviously, folks who like um, in-person horse racing have argued, as as Jackie said, that this is one way of making it viable in Idaho. But it's uh, we're talking, you know, as typically the case in policy, we're talking about a relatively small mm-hmm. policy area that has fairly substantial implications across the state. A lot of attention. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and what about Prop Two? Yeah, we, well, prop the pro prop two campaign just launched an ad last week, um, talking about like the financial that we're losing, kind of our tax dollars um, by not expanding the Medicaid gap. Which the prop two is to expand Medicaid to those who fall in the gap who don't qualify. It's about seventeen thousand Idahoans, something like that. I think it might be yeah. a little so, bit more. So yeah, I think it's closer to seventy thousand. Oh, yeah. seventy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's but, what I said, 70. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I misheard. I'm getting older and clearly... <laughs> I'm really good with numbers. Right. Um, and it's amazing to see this campaign play out. Um, uh, one of my neighbors has, I think, the largest street sign I've it's ever so seen. It's so big. Um, <laughs> Against or for? For. For in this case, but uh-huh. it just... Um, getting into some of the things we're encouraged by... I would, at least on my block, I think every house has street signs just about. I mean, mm-hmm. we also, we, we take Halloween very seriously, but we're taking the election very seriously, <laughs> yeah. too, which People is People nice. are engaged. People yeah. are engaged. And, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody's tearing each other's street signs down, and it's Democrats and Republicans, and it's yes and no on the various propositions. But um, there is a, you know, elections can be a very nice civic moment, or they can also be really, I think on the airwaves, they tend to be pretty nasty and negative. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, when you walk down the street, there are neighbors who care deeply about about uh, Medicaid expansion on, on either side and can be civil and humane about how they talk about those issues. Mm-hmm. Well, Corey, we're supposed to talk about the feel-good things <laughs> later in the show, so right now... That's all I got. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I uh, hate to bring everyone down, but it was hard not to think about this proposition in particular when um, I read the um, op-ed by the president that was published, was it in USA Today? Mm-hmm. Um, which said that Medicaid for all efforts across the states were really democratic efforts to take away uh, Medicare from seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see the ways in which this is, uh, as, as you know, issues about health care always are, but very, very polarized on both yes. sides. But it, I mean, we it does seem to be some bipartisan support for Medicaid expansion in the state. It's being um, chaired um, by some Republicans who, Republicans like um, represent, former Representative uh, Christine Perry, who worked in the legislature to try to to pass it yeah. through the legislature. It, we don't, I haven't seen poll numbers, I don't know for sure, but it seems like there is some bipartisan support for this initiative. Yeah, and we did have the folks from Reclaim Idaho on the show back mm-hmm. a couple months ago, and those folks have really done a lot of work to reach out to it's small communities. It's been an incredible grassroots effort yeah. across the state, and I think one of the big questions is, should it pass? And, and, and the sense of what I'm hearing is that it's likely to. How will the legislature respond? How will they implement this this mm-hmm. Medicaid expansion? What what happens next? Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I think Jack is exactly right that it's been a pretty bipartisan 
um, a, a measure in the in the state, and it'll be interesting to see when the when the votes come in how that breakdown occurs across across the geography of Idaho. And does it have larger procedural importance too? I mean, if you could get something that is perceived as sort of such a hot button issue like this on the ballot, doesn't it open the door to get other things on the ballot in a place like Idaho as well? For example, lo- the local control tax comes up a lot as something that could eventually become a ballot initiative? Yeah, you know, ballot initiatives are always kind of interesting, right? Like, I didn't expect um, the instant horse racing machines to have such success getting on the ballot. Because I, I, I just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, they had all the signatures. Whereas for Prop 2, the Medicaid expansion, they were out on the streets for, for months. Like, this was a long-term grassroots effort. So it kind of depends on the issue, whether or not they can mobilize the signatures that you need. Not, And it can't all just be in the Treasure Valley. It has to be across the state. Um, so some issues do manage to kind of get there, um, but it, there's always that limitation on it. But it's tough. I mean, for the states that allow citizen initiatives, this is, I believe, the hardest set of standards in terms of getting things qualified for the ballot. And to, so to see the success of these two measures that in, in, in getting on the ballot, it, you know, it might suggest strategies for future groups. Mm-hmm. I do think they, that, that one and two seem to get on the ballot differently in terms mm-hmm. of how they yep. were able to collect signatures, et cetera. But I do think it, it does shine a light forward for folks who say, you know, we want to maybe do something around the legislature. There are now models for how to do what is a Herculean task in Idaho, getting something on the ballot. Jackie, you mentioned earlier that you've been paying attention to some of the campaign spending that's going on. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the first round of campaign finance reports post-primary um, were, were posted yesterday, and so we're all still kind of sorting through them, right? But, um, you know, so, some things, like some races, pretty close, not a lot happening. Um, the superintendent of public instructions, interesting, where Cindy Wilson has far outraised um, Yabara, mm-hmm. and so what that means, what she can do with that in the election will be of interest. Um, there is a, fi- you know, the uh, Lieutenant Governor Little clearly, you know, he raised more money than Paulette Jordan, which is not surprising, but not that much more, um, a couple hundred thousand. So um, putting at least, it doesn't look like the Jordan campaign is is really in, you know, like hurting uh, resource-wise at this point. That's really interesting. Corey, you mentioned that things have gone televised. Yeah, so the, the campaigns have hit the airwaves. Um, I'm excited that for that for a couple of reasons. One of them is that uh, Boise State is part of a consortium of universities that is led by Wesleyan University, uh, which uh, captures political advertisements across the United States. So we actually are able to access the amount of the ad buy, where they're occurring in the state, and the creative itself. And so we can determine sort of how much the campaigns are spending, where they're running ads, which tells a little, a little bit about how they think the campaign is going to go. Where are they targeting their voters? Are they running in the in the Boise, Boise media market? The the little ad that I saw obviously was running in the Boise market, but uh, we wouldn't necessarily see ads up run in the Spokane media market or in the Salt Lake market. So this uh, project allows us to capture those images and see how much candidates are, are spending in each of those of those places. So I, I always like to end election season because we can get a sense of what the candidates are doing by, by virtue of their, their television uh, ad placement. So this is probably asking you to sort of just about your impressions rather than a, any sort of scientific claim, but do you have a sense of uh, how the two leading gubernatorial candidates are portraying themselves or is one more out in front in terms of ad buys? Do we have a sense of that yet or is it too early? 
I, well, I mean, I know I've I've been I've started to see Lieutenant Governor Little ads. I know um, Paulette Jordan's campaign had an ad that they were still fundraising to get on the air recently. Um, so again, like some kind of resource benefits here. What we don't see is I think both candidates have done a lot of small events across the state, and and that can be impactful too. So even though in the Treasure Valley we're not seeing them on the airwaves, they've both been out like you know campaigning on the ground. And the, the data seem to suggest that, that the Lieutenant Governor won the primary in part by his grassroots work and voter targeting efforts and really getting voters who were sort of in this infrequent voter camp to turn out and vote in his favor and that that might be the essentially the thing that tipped that primary race in his favor. And so those are things we won't see necessarily. We certainly won't see them in the campaign ads. We probably won't see them even in the, the campaign finance data, but we'll learn afterwards that this is where they spend a lot of their time. Uh, that's what's happening on the ground. That's what's happening yeah. on the ground, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the things that maybe have been uplifting us at a, a difficult time and you. Uh, so join us after the break. Hi, this is Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale. You're tuned in to Radio Boise, your source for music and public affairs programming in Boise and beyond. All right. Welcome back to The Big Tent on KRBX 89.9 FM, Radio Boise. Um, I'm Jackie Kettler, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jen Schneider and Corey Cook, all of uh, all of us at the School of Public Service at Boise State University. And one thing we wanted to talk about today was the things kind of make us happy or good things going on in the world. Um, some motivation for this is I adore the TV show The Good Place, and there's a podcast that accompanies the TV show, and they always end the podcast by asking the guests what's good in the world and I just I love it it's like a great little bit to hear about what people are excited about or happy about and so um, we're going to talk for the rest of the show about some of the good things happening in the world Um, and so Jen I know you collected a few um, responses did you want to share a couple of those yeah so uh, at Big Tent Radio on on Facebook I asked folks hey I know this is a difficult time a lot of people are feeling down the word rage is being (laughs) used a lot on my social media feed in any case so I said hey if you can catch your breath for a minute and tell us about some of the things that you know are making you feel hopeful or um, excited about the world please share those so um, our colleague Nisha she said okay I have something to share the International Monetary Fund just appointed their first female chief economist and I'm, I hope I get her name right. It's Gita Gopinath. She's of Indian origin and is an economist at Harvard. And so that, that uh, made me smile because it made me think last week of our discussion we had about the law passed in California to have more women representatives on, on boards. And so I know right now a lot of people are feeling frustrated and down about sort of the state of gender politics and culture. But there's, a, there's some good news, too, some mm-hmm. positive things happening. So that was great. Uh, great to hear about. And then um, I'm curious if either, what you two think about mm-hmm. this. Um, Angie, who listens to the show, said that she uh, took her kids out of school on Monday and took them down to City Hall here in Boise um, to celebrate the city of Boise proclaiming the second Monday of every October Indigenous Peoples Day. So um, she's feeling really proud of her city right now. I don't know if either one of you had a chance to be down there or was following that. It's pretty exciting. 
Yeah, so it's a that's a big step in the city, and, and certainly other cities have done this around the country. I think the city of Berkeley, as I recall, was the first city to do this about 25 years ago. Berkeley, um, Boise, same, same. Right, <laughs> it sounds the same, it rhymes, <laughs> alliteration. Um, but to see that happen across the country, I think, is, is certainly heartening, and, and uh, I, I know that, that tribal leaders throughout the state are appreciative of, of cities taking that step. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's a bold step to take right now, right, when we're having so many national discussions about um, sort of the meaning of history and of historical figures and the symbolism of recognizing certain things and not others. So that was great to hear about. And I I think it follows up with Nisha's point, right? Like just feeling represented um, by political institutions or entities can really mean a lot to people. And like, yeah, they they recognize that I'm here. They understand um, are my concerns Um, that that does. That's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Feeling seen and heard. Okay, so. Valerie Hayes is with us. She runs our board for us every week, which, thank goodness, because Lord knows I cannot do two things at (laughs) once. Um, And Val, you wrote um, that Bosco Open Studios Tour is this weekend and that that event always makes you feel more connected to the community art scene. I don't even know what it is. Can you tell us about Bosco Open Studios? Yeah. So um, Bosco is the Boise Open Studio uh, something, 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 something. Uh, <laughs> look it up, B O S C O. But they do uh, every um, October. They do an open studios tour where a number of artists in the community open up their uh, studios so that people can come in and see how they all different sorts of mediums, um, see how the art's made, ask the artists some questions uh, about how they're made, and, and just kind of interact with um, other art. Uh, members of the community that are fond of art so um, it's uh, this week from uh, Friday October 14th it starts off at 4 o'clock p.m. and it goes through Sunday uh, through 6 o'clock p.m. there's a schedule up on uh, online if you're interested it's at boiseopenstudios.com and it has all of the 64 artists a map of where their studios are and it's always just fun to kind of get out and see people being creative in our Community. Yeah, that is so fun. Brooke Burton, who we've had on the show before, um, I got to take a tour of her studio once. She's a photographer. And it was just she's on the list. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. going to do it. Yeah. I'll have to text her and say, "Can I come see your studio?" I think that's so fantastic. It's so neat to see the sort of environments that artists work in. I find it really inspiring. I feel like a lot of my job isn't sort of creative in that way. To so to see all the materials around and the way they arrange their spaces and stuff like You're that. You're imagining a faculty open studio wouldn't be near. Is that what you're saying? Please come to my office and watch me type yet another email. <laughs> so interesting and inspiring. And here I am reading a book. Come yeah. watch while I read. Exactly. No, I love that, Val. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, again, I think um, when things feel bleak or dark, it can be really helpful to sort of tap into other parts of our brain and our spirits and our souls. And art is one really great way to do that and a great way to support your community, too. Um, that's fantastic. Okay, good. I think we have time for one more. Okay, so um, Lisa posted on Facebook that she's really excited about the Paulette Jordan campaign um, and that she really likes Jordan's sincerity, the fact that she ran without a lot of um, financial support, and she seemed to have done it all on her own. So I think finding some you know, uh, inspiration again and a, a strong woman um, running for a, a leadership position. It's pretty exciting. Oh, you know, what? I got to read this one more before we go to break. Okay, you ready? Yeah, go for it. All right. So um, 
This is from Tiffany. And she said that she just posted grades for her online students. I feel your pain, Tiffany. I know what that's like (laughs) to spend three days grading. Um, And in that, she says, in that class, I had students from all over the country who are balancing careers and school. There were police officers, active service members, bankers, respiratory care professionals, and they all need their degree to advance in their careers. They researched, they asked questions, they were honest about what they had going on in their lives, but all still found ways to succeed in their class. I think if we can foster the kind of candid resiliency those students have, we will be all right. I love that comment so much because, again, when I'm feeling down sort of at the national, global level, I focus on um, our students who just are so inspiring. They're working, they have families, and they're making, I'm like going to tear up, they're making their education a priority. And man, that is so cool to see. Yeah, and that's why we do what we do. And that, that quote, I think, captures sort of what's the, what is empowering about higher education and why, what's exciting about coming to work with, with people who are pursuing their, their career and life objectives. It's, that's terrific. Yeah, they're not letting, uh, not letting things stop them. That's pretty great. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Corey, I think we're going to talk a little <laughs> bit about housing and the homeless. There's some really cool stuff happening this week, so yeah. please stay tuned for that. Uh, this is the Big Tent. Er, a, d, yo, ba, oi, si. Er, a, d, yo, ba, oi, si. Er, a, d, yo, ba, oi, si. Er, a, d, yo, ba, Many different voices. Yo, ba, oi, Er, d, yo, One great radio station. Radio Boise. Community radio for the Treasure Valley and beyond. All right, you're back uh, with the Big Ten Radio on Radio Boise. Uh, we have been talking this last section about what's sort of good in the world. Um, as, as probably our listeners are, are acutely aware, the, the public affairs news of late has been a little bit dark and somewhat contentious and disturbing. And so we thought we would spend part of today talking about uh, what's good in our community. And, and so we were talking over uh, during, the, during the break and, and wanted to turn the microphone over to Jackie to talk about what she's... Yeah. Experiencing. So this is more from a personal level, but uh, was diagnosed with cancer, a reoccurrence of cancer in December, and um, spent the spring um, in treatment at Misty at St. Luke's and with the N4 South at the hospital. And I was just so impressed, and they were just such wonderful people. Made the whole thing so much easier. Really focused on education, like promoting patient rights and information. And I, I just, I mean... Uh, we already loved living in Boise, but the whole experience and the and the help with which I got from my colleagues at Boise State, amazing, like just absolutely wonderful. And yesterday I got six vaccinations, which maybe not good news on its own, <laughs> but it signified six months out from my stem cell transplant, which was pretty awesome. Oh, congratulations. I won't yeah. punch you in your vaccination arm <laughs> as congratulations. And just shout out to folks who are recovering from cancer and other diseases. Um, um, my buddy Steve also has a clean bill of health right now, and uh, that makes me super happy. Yeah. That's great news. So, Corey, we got to participate in some really cool stuff around housing and homelessness this week. And Lawrence from Facebook said, hey, make sure you give a shout out to Interfaith Sanctuary and Corpus Christi. You want to talk a little bit about sure. some of those efforts? Um, we were fortunate to be part of the Interfaith Gala just a couple weeks ago. Um Interfaith Sanctuary was a recipient of our Commitment to Idaho Award this past year in the School 
school, public service. The, they're community organizations that just do amazing work in the community. Um, the the author and academic uh, Matthew Desmond was on. It was in Boise this week. Uh, he was brought to town by um, the cabin. Uh, to certainly, he's a. His book has won just about every imaginable award. His book, for, Evicted, it's extraordinary. Yeah, and is and so we weren't going to talk about his book because we're going to talk about the positive stuff, yeah. right? His book is yeah. is I mean, it's a remarkable book. We've used it in class. It's it's um, a really compelling read about the impact of evictions on on families and on communities, um, and it's been a sort of a call to arms uh, around the country for how we might address housing issues, uh, because uh, Professor Desmond was in town. We were able to convene the the mayor's. A roundtable task force on housing and homelessness on campus, and invited Professor Desmond to come and give a few remarks and 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 really connect with decision makers in our community. The mayor of Boise, mayor of Garden City, and a lot of nonprofit and community leaders uh, are part of that conversation. Um, and and one of the exciting things in the next couple of weeks, the the, the New Path Community Housing is going to be formally open. Uh, this is the first uh, housing first development in in the city. It's a national model that's been. Uh, sh- shown to be effective as a way of addressing particularly chronic homelessness, but but serving the most vulnerable populations in a community. Uh, it's a partnership among you know government leaders, uh, civic entities. Uh, obviously, the the city was a big player. Alameda, I'm sorry, Ada County was a player. Um, the, the the range of service providers, um, uh, the the. Uh, healthcare providers. Um, it's just a, a remarkable coalition of folks to try to put together a, uh, in this community, unprecedented project to address um, the needs of our most vulnerable residents. And it's it's exciting to see this take off. The city has a, a uh, affordable housing um, a project that will be online next summer that they've just invested in. Um, but to see the community really address the the housing crisis that's emerging in the Treasure Valley in a way that is, um, it's an Idaho solution. It is a collaborative yeah. one that draws across the the private public sector and the nonprofit sector uh, to see the role of, of just community people, activists, neighbors. Uh, it's really heartening to see the community come together to address this sort of really intractable challenge. Man, it's hard to be depressed when you're in that room, too. I, that, this was my first encounter with that group. I'm sort of new to the housing issue, certainly um, from a local perspective. And to just be in a room with so many people who are working together and who believe that they are going to solve this problem and they're actively doing that. I mean, it, you can't be cynical in the face of that. It's just, it's extraordinary. Right, and to hear the mayor of Boise talk about you know solving homelessness, which again is is in many communities a pipe dream, given yeah. the scope and magnitude of the challenges. And in Boise, that's a real. Um, it's certainly optimistic and ambitious. At the same time, it's 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 real that you could actually address those challenges on the scale in, in this community. And so to see that. Uh, just cross-cut of people coming together to try to address those issues and and work through problems and figure out creative financing mechanisms. The the financing behind the affordable housing is a mixture of federal funds and local funds and private and, public. Yep, yeah. it is. I mean, it's like how you do these, right? It's <laughs> scraping things together and and figuring out how to finance it and um, and and certainly um, uh, it's a, it's challenging at the same time. Yeah, you can't help but be encouraged that uh, this is what it means like to solve public problems in a in a collaborative collaborative way. Yeah, I mean, seeing uh, Matthew Desmond, who's a sociologist from Princeton, yeah, yes, uh, present at the Morrison Center um, this week too. Oh my gosh, what a! I mean, that presentation rocked my world. He mm-hmm. told these extraordinary st- stories, which are 
heartbreaking and devastating. And yet he has used his research and his platform to shine a light in places where we weren't even seeing these things before. And it's making real change in the world. So you know, not to be too Pollyannish today, but again, it's just a, a reminder that sometimes we have to see the darkness before we can shed light on it. And it's really inspiring. Yeah, and one of our one of our students was in the audience and emailed me, and because we we designed Evicted for our freshman level class, and so she emailed and said, "Hey, I was incredibly moved by this book. I went and, and saw the author. He mentioned in his presentation that he wants a better uh, collection of data in Idaho around evictions, and said, "How do I sign up? How do I get involved?" Yeah, love that. Um, yeah. Uh, we're probably going to be taking on a project with our Idaho Policy Institute. We have you know students who are literally reaching us saying, "Hey, I want to do this sort of research." Again, talking about the things that that make you happy about the work you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Jackie, I think you've said this to me before. Like when when we get down about sort of the state of things, it really helps to focus your attention at the local level mm-hmm. because that is where so much change is happening. Um, so I try to take heart in that. Uh, and in fact, our colleague Amanda says she's um, heartened by seeing so many new civic organizations popping up in the region, um, even those that um, seem like they're sort of sticking a thorn in the side of those in power. <laughs> she mentioned Vanishing Boise, and I couldn't agree more. That's engagement, and I love seeing that kind of civic en- engagement and what she calls urban literacy popping up. Um, and we had some other folks call out organizations like Little Black Dress Club Boise, mm-hmm. which is a way for uh, sort of small-scale philanthropists to bond together and make a difference. Um, so it's exciting uh, to see that. But um, why don't we finish on on this, which is uh, I had a, a friend who said she, she can't find anything that she feels good about other than getting to go out and sit in her hot tub in the snow, which I thought, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Wait, why is it, sn- uh, is it snowing? Where well, she <laughs> Corey, Facebook is not just in Boise. Oh, I don't really? know if you knew I that. No, I uh, it's I an it's an international phenom. Is sir. that right? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> I'll be sure to get it. It's, it's called an account. Is that what? You get it's on? called an account. Okay. You don't Facebook. need one if you don't have on the one Facebook. already. It's called the Facebook. And <laughs> do I call it? Does AOL? Do I call <laughs> exactly. AOL on my modem? And you're, dial. <laughs> you're such a dad. Oh. All right. So anyway, um, hopefully we gave all of you folks who are out there in your hot tubs with the <laughs> lightly falling snow on you some reasons to feel positive. Um, and here are two more reasons. One, um, if you are feeling full of rage and anger, there's lots of great places to put your rage dollars, including Radio Boise next week when we turn our attention to Radiothon. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And then stay tuned right after this program today because you're going to hear some live music from Esme Patterson uh, from Denver, the second best city in the nation. Uh, And that's a fantastic time. So stay tuned.